this time the younger children can head to their Sunday school class. I'm glad that you could make it out this morning. Um, let me just kind of take a few moments and say a few things. First of all, thank you. Um, it is absolutely positively uh, my wife and I, we feel uh, genuinely that it is our privilege to minister here. Uh, over and over again, we find ourselves immensely blessed uh, by the Lord leading us here. Uh, and then let me encourage you the best that I can to try and find your way back here this evening, even if you don't have a child involved in the children's program. Uh, we want to make sure that these kids know that they're doing something good uh, and, and that it's good not just because mom and dad are there or, or uh, grandma and grandpa, but that we as a church uh, think they're, what they are doing is good and important too. Uh, then, of course, let me encourage you to come out on Christmas Eve. It's always a good time together, always an opportunity to be encouraged right before we go into the madness of what is Christmas Day. Uh, so come Christmas evening if you can. All right, with that, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Father, you know how much help I need this morning. You know how much we all need this morning. And that your spirit needs to do a work in us. And I just pray, Father, you would lead us and guide us through this message this morning and into, Father, the observation of the Lord's table. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I started our Christmas series this year by noting that most of us move right past this genealogy. Most of us, uh, we, when, uh, we talk about the Christmas story. Uh, we start, if you're going to start in Matthew, we start in verse 18, uh, not in verse 1. And if you think about, a, uh, about that for a moment and you look around, you realize that that's kind of built in. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever seen a children's book that has the Christmas story in it that starts with this genealogy. And while Pam might surprise me this evening, I've never seen a children's program, both at church or school, that pays any attention to this genealogy. And as far as I know, neither Frederick Handel nor Mariah Carey have ever put it to song. And I would even have to admit that on Christmas morning, when we gather together and I read the Christmas story to my family, I read just a small section of Luke chapter 2. I can imagine it would be very tough for my kids not to daydream about opening presents while I read about Eliud begetting Eleazar. And there are other things, though, that we skip over. We don't pay a lot of attention to the scandal of Mary's premarital pregnancy. Hardly a Christmas season goes by that I ever hear anybody talk about Herod's murder of the children. And we certainly don't spend a lot of time talking about that white-knuckled flight to Egypt in the middle of the night. We very much are in a hurry every year to get to the baby in the manger. We want to hear all about the angel's announcement. We, we want to see the shepherd's amazement. And we want to read about how Mary pondered or remembered all of these things in her heart. And when we get there, it's really where we want to stay. It's nice and peaceful in that nativity scene. Nobody's talking about politics or viruses or vaccines. 
There's no health directives, breaking news reports. There's no tension with our neighbors and family and friends. You see, the nativity just has a few cows, some hay, sheep maybe, and a nice three-person family. Now, this is probably where you would expect that I would start chiding us for being too sentimental or unrealistic. But in fact, I would suggest to you this morning, that's exactly what we should want. All of us should be in quite the hurry to get to the baby in the manger. Let me explain. Matthew gives us here in his genealogy, in his opening of the gospel, he gives us two beginnings. In verse 1, we read a very simple phrase, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Now, the word generation there actually can be translated rightly origin, genesis, or beginning. Now, Matthew's not saying in verse 1 that Jesus had a beginning. The Bible is very clear. Jesus is eternal, was eternal, is eternal, no beginning, no end. What really is Matthew's saying here is he's telling us that all of this has been planned from the beginning. Christmas has been on the mind of God since Genesis 3. And so you can think about it as, as all of these names and all of these events are really like pieces for a game of checkers. That the board has been set up. Or, if you want to think of it this way, you could go to North Platte and you could take a nice little stroll down the bricks. And if you might note that in some of the store windows, there's going to be a little sticker and it's going to say this building was built in this year or this business was established in this year. And so by beginning this way, Matthew's saying that all the bricks have slowly been put in place. Then verse 18 is the grand opening. It's the opening move in the checkers game. You see, uh, Matthew's genealogy here acts very similar to Luke opening with Zechariah and Elizabeth. It establishes that people have been waiting for God to make that move, to open for business. And so there is really, in this sense, a very much a, a hurry to get to the manger. In fact, if you read the Christmas story, what does the Bible tell us? It tells us the shepherds made haste to get there. The Bible tells us that when the wise men finally find the child, the Bible kind of builds a, 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 a sense of exceedingly awesome, great joy spilled out of them. And the idea that the scriptures lay out for us is that everybody has been waiting. That's why we use that Latin term. How many of you realize you know some Latin this morning? We use that Latin term. Advent. The word simply means to wait. And it used to be in church history that Advent was a, a several week season and you'd get these slow reminders in some churches they would start lighting candles and each candle would have a, a particular meaning to it. But it was these weekly reminders that we were getting ever so close to the arrival of the baby. And so part of that reminder was Matthew's genealogy and reminding us that people have been waiting. They have needed, they have wanted, they have desired to get to this baby in a manger. 
In fact, the Bible tells us later that even the angels have been kind of peering over the edge of heaven, waiting to see when this was going to happen. And so we then say, no wonder there was such an explosion of celebration when it finally happened. My kids will likely wake up on Christmas morning exploding with energy. They've been waiting. Now this leads us to two very important applications. The first one would be this. We should be a people who are celebrating. In fact, this whole season should be one of pure celebration. The waiting is over. And so there's some things we need to resist. We, first of all, need to resist making Christmas about guilt. We must resist the urge to be like Ebenezer Scrooge and say, humbug, I'm tired of it. We have to resist the reality is, or let me back up and say the reality is that every year, without fail, there is always, always a gap between what we imagine the Christmas is going to be and how it actually turns out. And one of the things we have to resist is making sure that that gap doesn't become the center of attention. You see, the Bible tells the people of God that the joy of the Lord is a significant weapon in spiritual battles. The Bible tells us that there are maturities, there's even treasures in the Christian life that we cannot obtain unless we celebrate with others. In fact, the Bible tells us enjoying God is even a great solve for our currently festering wounds. And so the first application is that we must be a people who celebrate. But the second application I would give you this morning is that if we're going to celebrate, if we're going to celebrate and focus on this glorious moment of the birth of Jesus, we must celebrate Rightly. What does that mean? It means the God of the universe entered into his creation. God became man. Jesus had fingernails. You've heard me say this before. And some of you probably have been expecting it for a little while. But it's good to eat fudge. And it is especially good to eat more than you should this time of year. It is good to send Christmas cards. It's good to shop for presents. It's good to sing. It's good to cook large meals. The word became flesh. It's not a metaphor. It's not a myth like Hercules. In fact, John will tell us later, it was visible to the eye, it was touchable with the hand, it was hearable to the ear. And that should all be true about how we celebrate the baby in the manger. So if we're going to celebrate, we have to celebrate rightly with the eye, with the hand, with the ear. 
because it is as real as the ham that will be on your table on Christmas. But let me pause and say one more thing. The idea of celebrating might really feel out of place right now. For whatever reason, whether it's politics or loss, relationship issues, or just the fact that the world seems generally upside down. It might feel hypocritical. It might feel unnatural to celebrate. And what I would encourage you to do is remind yourself that all of those things were there at the first Christmas. And in many, of those, in many ways, those things were more true when the angels proclaimed, when the shepherds ran, when the wise men rejoiced. This is about celebrating something that is bigger than anything else we can point at. We love every year to talk about how wonderful it is that Jesus was born. We put it in stickers and signs and in our windows and in our lights. And we we say Merry Christmas and we're all celebrating. But this year, for many of us, this year is an opportunity to show we mean what we say. It is wonderful. But here, here's the point in the message I have to break the bad news. We can't stay here. The tree has to be put away. The fruitcake has to be thrown away. And the Advent hymns need to be ignored for another 12 months. We have to move on to sin and death. Our sin, Jesus' death. You'll say, Pastor, what a downer. The thing is, if we don't move on, all the celebrating of the birth makes no sense. The gifts, the punch, the laughter, they're all misplaced if we don't move on. And that is why we come to the communion table this morning. This is why we want to remember the Lord's death, how his death paid for and cleared us of all sin. But even here, as we talk about sin and death, it's not all bad news, is it? Because we come to the table this morning in the context of resurrection. And while we can't stay in the manger, we don't have to stay at sin and death. Winter becomes spring. Life will be resurrected. The death of Jesus gave death a mortal wound. And not only that, we find out later that death itself will be devoured. And Christ was resurrected. And all those who die in Christ will be resurrected. So in a way, if you look at this all in a whole, If you have a loved one this year who is not here to celebrate, maybe they've been gone for weeks, maybe they've been gone for years, one of the best things that you could do this year, eat some fudge for them. (laughs) It's only fair. They're currently enjoying something much greater without you and with Jesus himself. 
and after you have both been resurrected, when you see and you hear and you touch each other again, you can tell them all about the extra weight you gained in 2020 because you ate their portion too. Now, if you want a summary of all of that, I would put it this way. Christmas affirms that God is the God of life. Jesus says he came to give us life abundant. By faith in him, we get our new beginning. So let's put away everything else. Let's make sure we hurry up and focus entirely on celebrating his coming to do so. And let's make sure that we celebrate with things that we can see, things that we can hear, things that we can touch. Because Jesus isn't just Lord of our secret thought life. He's not just Lord for a few hours on a Sunday morning. So cheer the kickoff, line up for the grand opening, because it's entirely appropriate to do for Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this. And now as we turn our attention to the table, I thank you for the truth that we are reminded of that we can celebrate and we can move forward to sin and death and go there and we can remember the Lord's death and our forgiveness of sins and then we can come right back to the celebrating of the birth of Jesus. I thank you that we can do so this morning and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll ask our deacons to come forward. If you're out in the parking lot, we haven't forgot you. We'll make our way out there to you. Now, obviously, of course, due to the circumstances of our time, we're not going to actually pass the communion plates around. The, uh, the deacons are going to bring it to you, so they're going to serve you this morning. Uh, we certainly understand. If you don't want to participate because of health concerns, you can free, uh, feel free to say no. Uh, when a deacon comes by, they will not ask you questions. They will not give you awkward stares. Right, guys? Very good. All right, on that note, I also must insist that you only partake in communion this morning if you publicly identify as a Christian. And if you question this, please do not partake and feel free to talk to me after this service. The Bible also tells us before we partake that we should reflect. And so at this time, I would encourage you to bow your head and pray. Pray two prayers. Lord, am I right with you? And Lord, am I right with my neighbor? Should the Lord bring something to mind, please seek his forgiveness. And when you are done, look up at me. this time we will pray for the bread heavenly father we thank you lord that we can remember that we can be reminded that lord we do not carry the burden of having to save ourselves we do not carry the burden father of having to be perfect we do not carry the burden of having to prove that we are good people 
Father, we thank you that Christ has done it all. We celebrate this morning, Father, with this bread and remind ourselves the body which was given, was beaten, the body that was torn apart, crowned of thorns, laid upon his head. We thank you, Father, for this reminder, for that it does point us to resurrection. And it brings all sorts of sense to our celebration this time of year. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.